Glad I could be here today. That's good. Amen. Sure beats the alternatives. And uh, I guess if I was in, I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe some tropical island with my wife, uh, that'd be cool. But uh, outside of that, I'm glad I'm here. You know what I mean? I don't want to be in jail, and I don't want to be uh, down at the morgue. I don't want to be in the hospital, and uh, I'm glad I'm here. <clears throat> well, anyway, today we're going to go ahead and uh, kick off um, basically the final uh, uh, lesson in our series on, um, well, is it up here? Yeah, there it is. Creation, fact, not theory. And uh, I'm a little nervous about it. Uh, we're going to start dealing with dinosaurs. And it's going to take a little bit of time. I'm not sure, to be quite frank with you, whether or not we're going to actually get to the real fun, fun stuff. I need to set some groundwork uh, in the beginning. And uh, that sounds familiar too, doesn't it, in the beginning? But anyway, I need to set some groundwork uh, before we really get into some of those things. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you right up front, uh, I was telling Brother Hamilton up here, I said, you know, I, I really don't even like to discuss certain things because there are some things that are speculation. Uh, not all of it is uh, obviously concrete evidence. I mean, it's kind of like evolution, you know. The evolutionist says this happened, that happened, and we all say to him, were you there? <laughs> you know, how do you know that? Well, you know, and there's some bits and pieces. There's facts and things like that that we can draw from. But I'll be honest with you, there are times that when I'm going to share some things with you, I'm just going to be quite frank with you. Um, uh, you know, it's based on maybe a finding. It's based on a scientific discovery. And yet, to be honest with you, I wasn't there. So I can't, I'm not going to tell you 100% without doubt, this is exactly what happened. And if you don't believe it, well, one day in heaven, you'll find out you were wrong. I, I won't tell you that, okay? However, I do, I do think we have some very basic premises that we need to be very aware of. And we need to understand that where the Bible speaks, we just, we just believe. And, and so there are some things that just aren't true because the Bible very specifically teaches that it isn't. All right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to share some things with you along the way here. Now, the reason I say we might not get through it all is because not only am I sharing this disclaimer with you, but number two, I have like 33 slides up here. All right? Now, you know, it's been, it's been nothing but a pain for me. This has been very difficult for me. I'm just going to be very honest with you. Uh, I don't know that there's ever been a study I've done that's taken me more time, only because um, I'm trying to do PowerPoint and the, the lessons at the same time. It, it's very hard for me. And, uh, and then, like I say, there's just, it's very difficult to find things that I want sometimes. But nonetheless, it has come around, and here it is. And so what it is, it is, and good luck. Enjoy it, okay? It's going to be fine. I think we're going to learn some things along the way, and I think it'll be a blessing. Now, again, as we get started today, we're going to open up, obviously, with our opening verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it just simply says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Again, it goes right along with our theme, creation fact, not theory. Right? Now, again, one could say, well, we have to prove that the Bible's true. Okay, well... I'm just, I assume the Bible is true. It is. I mean, that's just as simple as it is. By faith, I believe that. So automatically, I don't believe in evolution. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You know that already. I believe in creation because that's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible's right. It's always right because God wrote it. God's never wrong. So <clears throat> we, we see that, all right? 
of course, we've talked over the last weeks. We've even kind of went down the road and said, okay, why is creation fact versus evolution? We've spent a number of hours describing that, talking about it in this room. And so I trust that we don't have to go back over all of that again. But I do want to rehash a little bit of what we talked about uh, last time, only because it's been so many weeks. And secondly, it sets and lays a groundwork for what we have ahead. So as we have a word of prayer, we're going to break uh, from that word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into a few things. And uh, we're going to look at that question again. Is the earth millions of years old? Uh, or is it really about six, seven, eight, maybe 10,000 at the most? And we're going to touch on that very briefly, just in a way of summary and review. And then we're going to leap into some new, new things, okay? So let's go ahead and have that word of prayer. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here. Lord, we want to be instructed and we want to be encouraged and taught. And Lord, uh, it's interesting. The word of God is so clear. Help us, Lord, just to accept your word. And then, Lord, um, in these other areas, Lord, help us, Father. Uh, some of the findings that we've noted and some of the uh, ideas that I've noted. And, Father, they just make sense and, you know, certainly align themselves much more closely with the word of God than evolution ever did. And I just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather here. Now, may it be a blessing and encouragement. And in the end, Lord, you need to be glorified. If you're not glorified, Lord, this is a waste of time. So, Lord, we just turn this service over to you, asking you to bless us and help us. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let's get started here. Um, creation, fact, not theory. Here we go. We said that fossils, and again, we're just going to quickly review. Uh, we just said that fossils basically are any remains, impressions, or trace of an animal or plant. Uh, when you find in or, uh, excuse me, when you find in or on a rock the imprint of an animal or plant, the bones of an animal or footprints of an animal or man, you found a fossil or you have a fossil. Now again, to become fossilized, the plant or animal must usually have hard parts such as bone, shell, or wood. It must be buried quickly to prevent decay and must be undisturbed throughout the long process. That's what we talked about. That's how you come up with fossils. Now, is the earth millions of years old as illustrated in a, ge a geological timetable? Or is the earth merely thousands of years old as related in the Bible? That's a good question, and that's the one we answered last time we got together, and that was a few weeks ago. So what we said, though, was, again, to become fossilized, a plant or animal must usually have a hard part, such as bone, shell, or wood. It must be, notice this, buried quickly to prevent decay and must be undisturbed throughout the long process. That's, that's important, isn't it? That's important. Okay. Again, we noted again the uh, Grand Canyon. We said that as you start looking at fossils uh, in the geologic uh, record, geological record, you're going to find that the Grand Canyon contains the most exposed strata in the world. And even with that said, there are eight missing periods, which means basically if you climb up those levels, you're going to find that eight of those levels that should be there aren't there, which represents 345 million years missing. Okay, so again, the fossil record is not complete, and the geologic timetable has never been found in one area. It's always different places. You go this side of the world for this one, this side of the world for this one, this part of the country for that one, but you'll never find all of them represented in one place ever, anywhere in the world. Well, that's a problem for me, but anyway. 
Um, let me ask you something. Should I, would you like me to turn these lights off? Would it be, help you to see it better? I, I think it might. I mean, you really, I know, I know you really enjoy watching me, but <clears throat> I think it'll help to see this. Yeah, a lot better. There you go. Because it, it's just, thanks. So anyway, <clears throat> then all of a sudden we talked about the tons of dinosaur bones that, that have been found, the Morrison Formation along the Colorado-Utah border, nearly 900,000 pounds of dinosaur bones were found in one location in the area of Vernal, Utah. Again, remember, they're all piled up. They're just, they're there. They're just thousands of tons of dinosaur bones. Now, how in the world did those dinosaur bones keep from decaying? Well, they were buried quickly to prevent decay. Well, how in the world did that happen? Well, we'll get to it. You already know, though, if you were here before. Now, the baleen whale, we noted the baleen whale, a fossilized whale found extended through three million years of buildup. Notice it's up this way, it's, it's, it's uh, vertical versus horizontal. Well, it's unusual to find that, but there, there are some of those anomalies in the fossil record, and this is one of them. It, it's, it's really a big fossil. And, and if, you, if indeed the, the different levels represent millions of years, this poor guy's had to, had to stay there for three million years, that direction, until the sediment all built it up around him. And he never decayed. Isn't that amazing? Then there's that pillow lava we talked about. Pillow lava is formed underwater. And this is a picture of pillow lava, which is formed... It was formed underwater, all right. But you'll notice that it was found 14,000, 15,000 feet above sea level on Mount Ararat. How'd that happen? How'd that, how'd that happen? Well, that's right where Noah's Ark landed, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. Then we talked about moon dust, remember? We're talking about the age of the earth, okay? Is the earth really millions of years old, or is it thousands of years old? Well, it, according to scientists, they were very concerned to land on the moon, obviously. They were afraid that they were going to have a run-in with 50 to 150 foot of moon dust. Because if the world and the universe was billions of years old and dust accumulates at a consistent rate as it does today, then that, that moon dust would be extremely thick. And when you stepped out onto that, you know, or if you landed in it, you know, well, they were concerned. But you know what they found? Amazingly, there was only about a half inch of dust, maybe a little bit more, three quarters of an inch. Do you know what that calculates to? 8,000 years. That's something, isn't it? Pleasantly surprised, I would hope. Then again, maybe they were very upset. Meteorites. Meteorites shower the earth on a regular basis. But no fossilized meteorites are ever found. You never dig down into the earth and go, oh, there was a meteorite that hit the earth a million years ago. 10 million years ago. 150 million years ago. You know where you find all, all meteor, uh, meteors? On the surface. That's interesting, isn't it? Maybe the earth isn't as old as they thought. Matter of fact, I know it isn't. So the conclusion that I came to, that I believe we all came to, that the evidence is really pointing to, if we would be a little bit more maybe honest than maybe even we'd like to be, uh, it's a young earth. It's not as old necessarily as the, the scientists tell us. So we've arrived there. Now we've set the stage. So what we're finding is there's a young earth. Wait a second. If there's a young earth... Did dinosaurs really move 200 million years ago? We've got a problem now, don't we? See, that's why I had to review this, because it sets the stage for the future. All right? Now, 
I want to continue on, and, and I want to look at what could have caused this. The biblical solution to all the problem is the flood. Again, Genesis tells us that there was a flood, and the Bible tells us that it was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and that it covered the highest mountaintop. That's how that pillow lava got up there, because it formed underwater. And then whenever the water receded, it just happened to be there. I mean, there was volcanic activity taking place. There was water coming up out of the, out of the ground, the depths of the earth, as well as that, as we'll talk about a little bit later, water coming down, crashing upon the earth as well. And there was a tremendous cataclysmic event taking place, and it was affecting the earth geologically. It affected the earth in so many ways. The Grand Canyon is not a, a, a result of millions and millions and millions of years of erosion. It is the result of a 40-day, 40-night flood and the absolute cataclysmic event of runoff that took place in a mere matter of a year time. It, It is amazing. So we have the flood. Now, the Bible says this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We've noted that already. We, we use that in our opening verse. But I want you to notice what else it says. Down here in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now listen, that's very important because uh, that word the is a definite article, okay? And that word the sets the stage for some things. First of all, um, again, you'll notice it says it was the first day. Well, time as we know it kicked off in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. Now see, again, God created the heaven and the earth. And when he got to verse 5, it says here, again, notice it says, and he called the light day and the darkness he called night. Now we've got light and darkness today. And the evening and the morning were the first day. There was no day before that. That was the first day. And God defined what a day was even. Notice again, he defines it. He says, he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Therefore, a 24-hour period. And it was the first day. Before that, there was only eternity. To our knowledge, now again, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us what time was called before Genesis 1-5. To our knowledge, there was no time. Even as down the road, there'll be no time in eternity. God created the earth, and then when he created the earth and the heavens and the moons and stars and the universe, all of a sudden he came to a point in the, the creation of the earth where he said, okay, this is the first day. It's a morning and an evening. Well, that's pretty clear. And you know what? It doesn't matter when you lived in history. It doesn't matter whether you live uh, a thousand years ago or you live a thousand years from now. You'll always know what that means. That's how God operates in His Word. He always shares shares things with us in terms that we understand. Listen, how many of you know what a chariot is? A chariot. You know what a chariot is, don't you? How many of you ride chariots to work every day? How many of you have used them in the Colosseum, being chased by lions? Nobody. 
But you want to know something? God uses that term. Someone says, well, obviously, God does. a chariot represents a car. No, a chariot may represent a car. I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that when I hear the word chariot, I know it means transportation. And no matter what you do, you always get the idea. You understand exactly what God's getting at because he always uses terms that are timeless. They, they just go from generation to generation. They say, well, yeah, that term's just archaic. Yeah, but you know what it means, though. And so you're able to understand what God meant. And guess what? The guy that lived 1,000 years ago and 2,000 and 4,000 years ago, he understands it just like you did. Because God used terms that he understood and terms that you now understand too. Isn't that amazing how God did that? And so when God defined what a day was, he made it very clear, perfectly clear, that it was a 24-hour period. Now there are some false philosophies that try and harmonize the Bible with the geologic timetable. Or they try to harmonize creation with evolution. First of all, there's this one called the gap theory. In Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Then they stop and they go to verse 2. The earth was formless and void. Oh wait, notice that. That's By the way, that's not King James. See what I told you how tough this is? The earth was... I'm going to read it because that's not even the King James. Isn't that great? I just, I just caught him. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now notice again, the Bible tells us very simply here that the earth was without form and void. Now, someone says, well, if God created it and it was all good, how did it become without form and void? How did it get that way? Well, there was a gap, obviously. When God created everything, then all of a sudden everything went, you know, there was this big gap. Millions, maybe billions of years. Geological ages took place between this gap. Matter of fact, what they, they really claim is, is that there was a pre-Adamic race of people that existed and ultimately died off and went into extinction. You say, that's crazy. No, there are, there are men, in the, especially early 1900s and late 1800s, that bought into this big time. They've written books on it. And so what they try to do is they try to somehow harmonize the millions and billions of years that existed that we just can't seem to somehow wrap our mind around or somehow justify in the Word of God. Let me tell you something. We don't have to do that. It's not necessary. It really isn't. The fact is, is that that gap there does not exist. It never did and it never will. Then there's this other one. It's the day-age theory. If you, read, if you consider the day-age theory, what they're basically saying is, of course, we noted a biblical day is what? 24 hours. And the morning and the evening were the first day. Oh, that's pretty easy to understand. We, we understand that. 24 hours. The day-age theory, on the other hand, says a day represents millions of years, potentially. Millions. So when he said in the morning and the evening were the first day, that first day really, you know, you know how it says over there in the book of Peter that a day is as a thousand years unto the Lord? Well, that just really doesn't mean thousands. It could mean millions. How could it mean millions if he said thousands? And secondly, when he defines what a day is very early on, right off the bat in the, the beginning of Genesis, he makes it very clear that a day is a day is a day. So that you and I can understand it. So that there's never any confusion. And yet, the day-age theorists say that that day just represents a geological time frame. Maybe millions and millions of years. It may be 100 million. It may be 200 million. It may be a billion years. It doesn't really matter. The fact is, is that we can now justify, we can now, um, what do you want to call it? Um, I got the word here. I wrote it down somewhere. 
I'm missing it up. We can, ah, not justify, we can, isn't that terrible when you forget words? Let me see if I can find it here. It doesn't matter. What it's saying is that we can take the Bible and we can take evolution and we can make them match. What am I looking for? Does anybody know the word? What's that? Harmonize. harmonize. Thank you, Dean. Dean, you're, you're a scholar. <laughs> we can harmonize the Bible with evolution. That's what we do. That's, a, that's exactly the word I was looking for. Thank you, Dean. I mean, we can harmonize it. Can you imagine that? That's what the goal is. The goal of the gap theory, the goal of the day age theory is to harmonize the Bible with evolution. And, and so they've come up with this. Now, the only problem is in Exodus 20.11, the Bible goes on to say, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in, uh, the, in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, that's, that's very important to understand. Again, each day of creation really represents 24 hours of time. There in Exodus, we see that is the case. It's so important to realize that. Now, you know, you get so much stuff in your mind that you forget where you wanted it. I'm afraid I'm going to forget to say what I'm going to say, but then again, I'm afraid it's in my notes later, and I'll really not look good if I tell it to you now and then try to tell it to you later. You ever been there with things? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, I, I'm going, wait a second, these notes. Now, you've got to understand, I've got seven pages of notes up here. Now, so there we have it. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. Now, we talked a little bit about those things, and I think that stuff's coming into, into play. Oh, that's, now that's a cool one, huh? I designed that myself. You'll never find that on the Internet anywhere. So don't go looking. I know you want to. I can tell. In the beginning, what he say in the book of Genesis? I want you to turn there, Genesis 1.1. This is very important. I want you to see how this works. If you were in my Bible college class about a semester ago or so, we talked about this at length for one class. We took a whole class to talk about this one little thing. Notice what it says here in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the... Yeah. What was that word? Was it heaven or heavens? It's heaven, isn't it? Hey, listen, that's important to understand. See, when God first created the heaven, there was the earth and there was the heaven. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, we'll get to it in just a second. Let me explain something and how it works. Now, there came a point in the creation, as you read through the, the creation account, that God begins to put firmaments, he calls them, firmaments in the heavens. So what he basically does, he begins to divide up the atmosphere if you will, into atmosphere and outer space and so forth and so on. Now, those heavens will ultimately, heavens, plural, will ultimately be dissolved. They'll be gone, done away with. In 2 Peter 3, 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens, plural, were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now that's interesting, because as we're going to see here, there's going to be some water involved in and out of the earth. Okay, but, but nonetheless... We, we have heavens now. Now, in the beginning, he created the heaven and the earth. But now he's talking about heavens, plural. In 2 Peter 3, 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
Even as God created the earth, he's going to burn it up one day. Even as there were, at one time there was a heaven, and now there are heavens, plural, there will only be a heaven one day. He said, how in the world can New Jerusalem and, and the inhabitants of the earth go to and fro? Because there's a heaven. It'll be different. Let's go ahead. Let's look at some things here. He goes on to say, um, 2 Peter 3.12, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So the heavens will be dissolved at one point, along with the earth, that will be a new earth created. Now, therefore, there are three heavens today, as we're going to note. There are three heavens. Someone says, well, no, there's only one heaven, that's where God is. No, that's only one of the three. See, there's the first heaven, which is our atmosphere. You'll see our earth, and then there's that blue there. It represents the first heaven or the atmosphere. Well, of course, we know that the atmosphere is where, of course, the little birds fly and planes fly and all that good stuff. Uh, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And he goes on in verse 20, and God said, let the waters be, bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So now we have these, these birds flying about in this first heaven, this firmament. He created this firmament. So there's a division. You have the first heaven now. And within that atmosphere, you have birds and flying that God created. Here they are. They're flying around. They're not flying around in dirt. They're flying around in atmosphere. Okay? Then there's the second heaven. In Genesis 1.14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Well, we know that the moon, the stars, and the sun aren't in our atmosphere. Then obviously they're in a different firmament. They're in outer space. That is the second heaven. That's the second heaven. Then we turn around and turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You're going to notice that there is a third heaven, and the Apostle Paul was taken there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. There the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, chapter 12, verse 2, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the, whoa, there it is, third heaven. See, if there's a third heaven, then there has to be a second heaven. And if there's a second, there has to be a first. So what we have is the first heaven, which is our atmosphere where the birds fly around. Then we have... The second heaven, which is outer space, where all the moon, the stars, and the planets are. And then we have the third heaven, where God's abode is. Those are the three heavens. Now again, originally, when the creation of the earth took place, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There was only a heaven. But God, in this period of creation here of the earth, created these firmaments, these different levels, if you will, or these different uh, spaces. And then finally... In Genesis 1-7, there's an interesting statement that takes place here. It says, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. I don't know about you, but that's a mouthful. And basically, what we... gather from this particular verse is that there was a division of the water. Water that was under, water that was above. 
Well, that's kind of interesting because we know that outer space, there's a lot of water in outer space. We're very aware of that. But in this particular case, it, it's very clearly outlined that there is legitimately water that has been amassed, that's been separated. And so what we find is that at one point there was a different layer of atmosphere, so to speak. It appears that there was literally a canopy of water that went around the earth. Which, which is kind of interesting. At least it appears that way in the scriptures to us, does to me. And it's going to ultimately help us to understand a few things about even dinosaurs, okay? So the scriptures tell us that there's water below the firmament and there are waters above this firmament. Well, how that water get suspended up there? I'm not 100% sure. Some believe it may have been a, a layer of ice called a Misner effect, and ice has a tendency to be able to be magnetized and things like that. I don't know. It could have just been simply water that God put in place, and he, being God, can do anything he wants. So either way, though, there's water above and below the firmament, which we know it serves no purpose to put water... Uh, well, I don't even want to go there because there's a sea of glass in the heavens, too, but, in, but I don't want to go there. But anyway, there, there's just... There's this firmament here now, okay? Again, God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above. So now we have this so-called water canopy now. Now again, today's atmosphere has six layers to it. The troposphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere, the thermosphere, the exosphere, and the ionosphere. But it appears that there was another layer when God divided the firmaments, when God created the earth originally, prior to the flood, there was the, if you will, for lack of a better term, high hydrosphere. You like that word? That's pretty good, huh? So there was a water, a layer of water above the atmosphere. Now, when God made the world, it was there, and now it is gone. It's not there. Any scientist will tell you it doesn't exist. It's not there. And he or she would be correct. That water layer fell at the time of the flood. And therefore, we don't have it today. How in the world could there be so much water on earth? How is it possible that every mountain was covered with water? Well, the Bible tells us that, obviously, the earth opened up and water came forth out of the midst of the earth, as well as it came down from that water canopy. And the earth was totally consumed and flooded with water. That's pretty interesting. And it makes perfect sense, and it's biblically founded. Now the question is, what are the results of that canopy, then? What are the results? And this is probably the last one we're going to get through if we can get through all these results. I'm going to flip that light on because I want to see you. <clears throat> and I only have a few more slides in this area. So we'll be able to deal with it. So let's, what is the result of that canopy then? I mean, there's obviously, as he says, the, as the Lord tells us, that he separated the waters from that which was below and that which was above. 
So there's this water canopy. There's this water. Whether it was ice, whether it was uh, water vapor, whether it was water itself, it appears to me that it was water. Now, a lot of people like to make it ice because of the Misner effect and all, and it floats. But I'm kind of a literalist. You know, if God says something, then he usually means it. And I just kind of believe that it was just actual water. I don't know how he kept it up there. I don't know. I can't even tell you that. But what I do know is what the Bible says. And the Bible makes it very clear that there was water above that firmament. (laughs) There you go. So what's the effect of that? It's interesting. This is very interesting. What we're going to find is that it appears that this water canopy produced double the air pressure that we now experience today, which means that there was also the oxygen level was increased. It's actually believed that the oxygen content in the atmosphere was at one time 50% higher than it is today. Now again, what, what I have here is an article from, from, from uh, Time Magazine back in 1987. That's a long time ago. Some of you guys are really old to remember that. And what they found is, is they did some studies. And, and again, you'll notice 2009. So this, is, this was way back in 1987 and also in 2009. They're, they're finding this to be the case. It's been confirmed over and over and over again. But what they did is is basically uh, this little thing you see on the right here. It's 84 million years old. It's an air bubble. All right? It's an air bubble, and it lies trapped in what's, in, in what's called basically um, uh, what, what we call um, amber. And amber is nothing more than basically fossilized tree sap. And what they've done, they've done studies on this. They've taken this fossilized tree sap with these bubbles in it, they've extracted the oxygen in the bubble, and they've tested the air. They did this in 87, they did this through the years, in 2000 there was another study that was done, and then in 2009 another study done, and they keep finding it to be consistently the case, that this oxygen level from millions of years ago, mind you, it was millions of years ago. But that oxygen level millions of years ago when the dinosaurs walked the face of the earth was 50% higher than it is today. It's there. It's, it's, it's proved. You say, how's that happen? I believe it's part of that canopy. That canopy created a, an oxygen-rich um, environment. It kept the pressure higher. It, it, it did all of those things. It's interesting about this oxygen. If you increase the levels of oxygen in a person's body, it's very beneficial, mind you. Very beneficial. As a matter of fact, um, it was a number of years ago, but baby Jessica, a little baby by the name of Jessica, slipped down into a pipe, an eight-inch steel pipe. She spent two and a half days there. She was only 18 months old. But there she was, 20 feet down in this steel pipe, and of course, her one leg went down nice and easy. The other one went up behind her. She did a split. Yeah. Two and a half days. A daring rescue. They finally got her out. I mean, it was a great, great, uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing. But what they did was they found that baby Jessica's leg was totally black. Of course, it had been oxygen deprived. Circulation had been shut off. 
The doctor, one of the doctors said, we need to cut her leg off, obviously. We don't want it to continue to cause problems, so let's go ahead and remove the leg. The other doctor said, hold on, before we move, remove the leg, let's try something. So the doctor said, let's put her in a hyperbaric chamber. What a hyperbaric chamber does is it increases the air pressure and increases the oxygen level. When they did that, they put baby Jessica in with her leg that was totally black and supposed to be amputated. Within hours, her leg turned pink. It was within hours that her foot turned pink and toes began to turn pink. Before it was over, she only lost a half of one toe because she had been placed in this hyperbaric chamber. Now, wait a second. Think with me for just a moment what that would mean. What that would mean if the entire earth was under this this excess pressure or this this pressure and the, the increased oxygen levels. Amazingly, I mean, think about how far you could run if you were receiving so much oxygen. I mean, what's hard to run a mile? You might be able to run 50 now. I mean, in healing, look at how it healed baby Jessica. It could also be used to heal bodies. I mean, you wouldn't need doctors hardly at all. In the 1980s, it was a very new therapy. And this was like in 1987, I believe. Oxygen levels heal people faster. You know, that's why professional athletes have them in their homes now. That's why hospitals now have them. They use them for a number of things. Sports teams purchase them. Why? Because they want their athletes on the field. They're paying them millions and millions of dollars to play. So they have these chambers all over the place now. Now, they're not as popular as we'd like to believe. I wonder why. If I wouldn't need a doctor all the time, that might not be good for the economy. I'm thinking about building one of them babies. You guys will come back next week and I'll be looking like like 10 years younger. I'll have hair. Maybe it'll start my hair growing again. I don't know, you know. It's amazing, though. I've, I've done some research on it. They're using it for cancer. They're using it for uh, multiple sclerosis. They're using it in a number of, number of avenues now. The only problem is it's not widely known and very few doctors understand it. And I don't know that there's a re- good reason for that, except that it's just not being very publicized. But let me tell you something. Uh, I'd be tempted to look into it if I had any of those issues. Because I do believe that that water canopy created an oxygen-rich, double-the-pressure type environment. Now, they did some studies as well. I don't even have the study up there, but Dr. Kimori... He was, a, um, he was at the University of Tokyo in Japan. He started to raise tomato plants in his basement. And he had no windows, so obviously plants need light. So uh, he took a fiber optic cable and ran it down from the roof down to, in order to light the plant, to, to, to put light on that plant. His cherry tomato plant, oh, oh by the way, he, he wrapped it with carbon dioxide as well. He wrapped it so it was carbon dioxide rich. 
it, it basically would have it would have mirrored what the carbon dioxide level would have been pre-flood based on withdrawing the oxygen levels out of the you know um, amber. So what he did is he wrapped it now, just the base, not the whole thing, just the base, and he brought in the light. Well. This cherry tomato plant began to grow abnormally fast, and he thought, you know, I wonder if that fiber optic cable is blocking out the ultraviolet light and only allowing pure light in. All that other stuff that comes from the sun's being blocked. So what he did was he put a plastic shield over the plant, and he moved it to a laboratory. That plastic shield was like sunglasses, you know, that block those UV rays or UV light that you, you skip from the sun. They tell you it's so dangerous for you. He also decided again, like I said, to once again pressurize it with carbon dioxide right at the stem of that plant. So he pressurized it there in the laboratory. He also provided that light that was uh, void of the, the VU rays. He built a flexible sock around that stem, and therefore he could really get it tight around it. After two years, his cherry tomato plant was 16 feet tall, and it produced 900 tomatoes. And the tomatoes on his cherry tomato plant were baseball size. Now, the article that I read, and I read it from a number of sources, but the article I read said that that tomato plant had grown to 30 feet tall. And it was producing 13,000 tomatoes every year. That's a tomato tree. Can you imagine if the entire earth were hyperbaric? All plants would grow like crazy, wouldn't they? Scientists all say things like, it's impossible, all this coal that we have in the earth. All this coal, it would have required just enormous mass amounts of vegetation. Yeah, absolutely. And it would have all been piled on, piled on, and piled on during a cataclysmic flood. I, it all fits together pretty well. Not only would that canopy, not only would it produce the double air pressure and increased oxygen levels, but it would also, as we noted already, block the sun's damaging rays. Look at this. That's what happens when you stay out in the sun. You know what I'm saying? Over here we have a little baby, perfectly smooth skin. We have this young lady's getting ready to get married. Man, her skin's just so wonderful. But listen, age, time, not just age though, here's the real issue, the sun. Do you realize that right now we're in a, a building that has a wood-constructed roof, shingles? Do you know that every one of those rays that the sun's pouring out is going right through, hitting you right now? If you had a metal roof, if you had a concrete roof, it would stop it, it would block it. But this wood, this doesn't do anything to stop it. It just keeps bombarding my body. It's like I'm constantly being x-rayed. What kind of wear and tear does that have on our body? And also, what kind of... What kind of I guess, changes would that make in our body itself? You talk about 
Things like at the cellular level. I mean, you're getting bombarded by x-rays. I've got to believe at the cellular level it affects us as well. And why do we have so much cancer today? So he says, guys, we're always out there in the sun. Yeah, well, the sun's good for you because of vitamin D, by the way. If you don't have vitamin D, then you're also in a bad shape. So there needs to be balance. Everything moderation, the Bible tells us. But by the same token, the sun's rays today come down differently than they did pre-flood because there was a canopy that blocked the UV rays. So now not only do we have increased oxygen levels, which certainly help to repair and to fix the body at a much greater rate, also they have a tendency to really help to grow things faster. And now we have the UV rays being blocked. So what does that produce then in the long run? Lifespans. Lifespans. Exceedingly long lifespans. See, before the flood, people lived to 900 years old. It's biblical. Chapter 5 of Genesis. Very clear. Prior to the flood, this canopy existed. And as a result of that canopy, with its air pressure and oxygen levels raised, the damaging rays of the sun being blocked, lifespans increased substantially. Again, 900 years. You know that right after the flood took place... Almost immediately, it dropped off to in half. Now it's no longer 900 years. Almost immediately, they're only living to 400 years old now. Almost immediately. And then all of a sudden, you're down to 200, and then to 100. And look at us today. 70 years old is old. For some of you, some of you are very young looking. So now we have extended life as a result of the canopy. We also have a consistent climate. You've ever heard of the greenhouse effect? You got that canopy that's covering the earth. Guess what? Isn't it funny that they find fossilized mammoths over in Antarctica and in the polar, in the polar caps? How's that possible? Why in the world would a big, a big mastodon want to hang out where there's no vegetation, where there's no food, where it's just ice? It's because... The earth wasn't always all ice. There was that canopy that created a greenhouse effect, and there was a consistently warm, probably um, tropical-type atmosphere on the earth. What else? Enhanced growth. Again, we already talked about it in some plants, the potential for that, but there was enhanced growth. Humans, insects, animals, all of it, they were growing more. You say, really? Yeah. Not only did people live longer in that day, but it appears at least from fossilized bones, <laughs> from fossilized people they found, that there were some that grew larger. A number of them. Again, there's been a number of remains found that, that, whose skeletons show us that they were 9 to 12 feet tall. They say, what? Yeah, yeah, 9 to 12 feet tall. You don't hear a lot about that in the uh, science books, do you? But they're finding them. And that shouldn't really come to a surprise to us who believe the Bible, because in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, prior to the flood, the Bible says there were giants in the earth in those days. The Bible's always right. Just because man doesn't want to admit it, or just because man doesn't find it immediately, he says, oh, it didn't happen. Just like the walls of Jericho never happened either. But then they excavated them back in the early 1900s and said, oops, I guess the Bible was right. Guess what? The Bible's right again. They're out there. Even after the flood, there were some remnants of these giants that seemed to hang around. You know, you've read about him, Goliath. 
And not only that, but you have the king of Og, or Og, king of Bashan, I should say. Guess what? This guy's bed was amazing. His bed was 13 and a half feet long, six feet wide. Yeah, I wonder how big he was. It says he was of the remnant of giants over in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 3, verse 11. He was of the remnant of giants, and his bed was 13 and a half feet long. Mine's only nine feet long. Yeah, right. And have a room big enough for that. From time to time in our world, there are anomalies, of course. Even in our present day, there are those that seem to be giants. For instance, this particular fellow, Robert Widlo, uh, Wadlow. He was born in Alton, Illinois. He was 8 foot 11. He was 490 pounds, and he had a 37-inch shoe. Amazing. Look at him there. He's big time. Hey, listen, it's not impossible. Now, again, in these days, in our day and age, that is very, 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 very rare. And furthermore, because of the environment we live in, it is an anomaly. It is not normal. That is abnormal to grow to that height, obviously. Lived back in, he died in 1940. But we see that that's not out of the question. Now, again... There are good reasons to believe that others were equally as tall and even taller than this man prior to the flood. Again, there are remains that prove that there were big people existing. Now, there were huge fossils of giant insects and animals as well. You've seen that. For instance, this giant sea turtle. Look at it. that little that lady there is normal size. Some of these sea turtles are... Uh, and some of the regular turtles are 10 feet or more. That's pretty big. you you got dragonflies over here beside this man that's 6 foot. The wingspan's 2 foot 4 inches. A dragonfly. They found a dragonfly fossil that's 50 inches. Why? The, the, the wingspan's 50 inches. Can you imagine that? Well, I, I don't know about you, but those things freak me out anyway. You, you can't see that lady's face, that girl's face in the back, but that, that, that grasshopper's four times the size of her head. Two feet long at least. Listen, those kind of things, they find these kind of fossils around. Why? Because they're pre-flood. They say, oh, they're, they're prehistoric. We're prehistoric, first of all. What are you talking about prehistoric? Pre, before history? When did that word get put into the, in, into, into existence? It certainly wasn't when the Bible was written. Prehistoric? They're not prehistoric. They were back before the flood. And some of them got on the ark and came over to the new world. We'll talk a little bit about that the next time we get together. And I'll give you the rest of the story. Before the flood, things were bigger why? Again, because of that increased pressure that puts more gas into the water. And so fish got bigger. They grew faster. They lived longer. The, the insects, the, the uh, everything. It just it made such a difference, that canopy. And again, we're going to discuss a little bit. But I do want you to understand something. The Bible says, and we're going to wrap this up right now. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I just want you to know something. If you don't believe the Bible... You would never believe what I'm telling you. 
You won't even, because a lot of what we talk about today includes verses of Scripture, which you would not, you would discount those immediately. May I say that the reason why we keep coming up with millions and millions of years is simply because we keep discounting the Bible. You know that back in the, 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 the 1800s, almost every scientist believed that there was a creator? They all believed in the creator. And we're going to find out a little bit later that they didn't even know what dinosaurs were until 1840. I mean, there's all these things that seem to be popping up right around the time of Darwinism. And now we have a very confused society, a very warped society in this area of the Bible and creation. But let me tell you, God is in control. He is on the throne and he lives today. And there is a future, it's called eternity, and God says that we have one life to live. And let me tell you, don't waste your life on yourself or doing things your way. Remember, there's a God in heaven who says you're going to give an account for your life. And I just want to encourage you as a believer today, not to discount God, not to discount His Word. You say, but I'm saved, I wouldn't do that. I know, but sometimes we take Him for granted. And sometimes we take the reality of God for granted and His influence in our life for granted. He died for us, He was buried, He rose again, He saved us, He washed us from our sin, He lives in us as believers. And yet so many times we come up with our own ideas and our own, our own pathway to travel. I want to encourage you to commit your life to Jesus Christ today. To realize that this book is God's word and it is true. And that he is alive and he is well. And that he will hear your prayers and he will be with you. Don't believe the lies. Evolution is a lie. There is a God. And he loved you enough to pay for your sin and die for you. And you know what, if he is good enough to become my savior, he ought to be good enough for me to live for him. If I'll accept his salvation, I ought to accept his authority in my life. Isn't that terrible? Doesn't, can you imagine, can you imagine your children living in your home, eating your food, wearing your clothing, taking everything that you're giving them and then saying to you, you'll never tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want to do. Oh, oh, no, I don't know about that one. But you know what? Let's face it. Isn't that what a lot of believers are doing? I'll take your blessings. I'll take your salvation. I'll take your indwelling. I'll take your presence and your power. I'll take your Bible even. I'll take your promises. But don't you dare try to tell me how to live, what to do. I'll do as I please. That's not how it ought to be. And I trust today that's not how it is for you. I know in my own life I war with that. I want what I want. And every once in a while I find that it conflicts with what God wants for me. And I have to make a decision. Am I going to let him rule? Or am I going to do it? I make that decision regularly. I got to believe that every believer has to fight that battle. And I want to encourage you to make the decision to commit your life to Jesus Christ, to let him rule on the throne. There is a heaven. There's a hell. But thank God we're on his team. And he's on ours if we have Christ as our Savior. Listen, do you know Christ is your Savior today? You better settle it. Don't leave here without the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
He'll forgive you. He'll take you to heaven. And he'll be with you every day and give you the life that you've been searching for. But you will never experience that life unless you totally yield yourself to him. Believers are miserable today. Just look around you. It's not because God's not able. It's because we're not willing. Let's be willing. Because he is able. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you've done for us. Thank you for this time we spent together. Lord, we thank you again for just the opportunity that we have to know you, to love you. Father, there's so much information that, Father, has just been given today. There's so much that's been shared. But, Lord, help us never to lose sight of what's most important, and that's you. In the end, it's about you and your word. Help us, Lord, we pray. And if there be any that are lost without Christ, I pray that they give them the courage in just a moment. The moment the music begins to play, those that do not have it settled in their life, in their heart, that those that do not know for sure if they die, they go to heaven, that they'd simply just slip by whomever's in front of them and make their way to the closest aisle and come see me right at the front, settle this salvation issue right now, today. And Lord, for the believer, may we make a commitment to you to allow you to be on the throne of our life, to rule. Lord, you are, you are willing. And you are able. May we too be willing. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the music begins to play.